Let's pray. Still our hearts, O God, help us to come present to this moment. Help us come present to you. May we breathe deep of your life. Amen. Moving from one place to another can be exciting, but it also can be singed with grief. Starting a new job, truly longed for, is exhilarating, but it also can be full of anxiety. Discovering a new way of being with God may be renewing, but it also can contain moments of disequilibrium in its invitation into the unknown. Change brings mixed emotions, whether a good change or a painful one. How we react does not always correspond to what is. Depending on our personality and our emotional capacities, we can sometimes over-respond to change or under-respond. A change can trigger a past unhealed wound or exaggerate a future fear. What all change has in common, though, is transition from something to something. While some transitions seem more external, all of them require an internal willingness to grapple with what is important and how we think life is supposed to work. In William Bridges' classic book entitled Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes, Bridges instructs that all transitions begin strangely enough, with an ending, followed by a period of confusion and distress, leading to a new beginning for those, he notes, that come that far. Sounds a little bit like Walter Brueggemann's description of the movement within the Psalms of orientation to disorientation to reorientation. The trick in transition, according to Bridges, is to clarify what truly is ending so that we can move with compassionate grace into the unknown with all its uncertainty so that a new beginning can eventually happen. Today's text marks uh, lives full of change. The year is about 538 B.C., The Hebrew people have returned from captivity in Babylon, at least part of the people have returned from captivity in Babylon, to their dearly loved hometown of Jerusalem. Freed by the benevolent Babylonian Persian, freed from from Babylonian conqueror, um, Cyrus, king of Persia, comes and lets them go back home. 
not only did they find themselves home, but per the king's instructions, a new temple is being built on the foundations of the great temple of Solomon that was destroyed by the forces of the Babylonian kingdom 50 years prior. So they're coming back. The city doesn't look the same as it once was. The beautiful temple is not there. But Cyrus says, it's okay. You can come back and you can rebuild. Even though the people are now home, this home is not what it once was. Even though King Cyrus of of Persia is kind in his help, he is referred to as a really good king. He is not totally let go of control upon the city and its inhabitants. So he still has this long arm of control that's coming towards them. They're not totally free, free to have a new king. The temple is being rebuilt, and that's to be celebrated. The priests are reinstated, and the sacrificial system is back in all its, my commentary, bloody glory. Glory. Bloody glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yet there is one thing missing, and that is the king. There's no king, and the Persian king does not come. So it's good, temple, good, priest and sacrificial system, good, and not so good. Something's missing here. Let us not forget that the people have come a long way, not only in distance, but in emotional distance. Psalm 127 describes their former life this way, and this is only two two of the sentences in the whole psalm. Read the whole psalm and get the whole picture. But they say there... By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres. It was not a fun time in captivity. Even though they made a life there, it was not a fun time. They had experienced the depths of despair, and there is no easy bounce back from what was. With a cheerio, let's shake that one off. It'll be okay with a stiff upper limb, lip sort of stance. This is going to be okay. What happened doesn't matter. No, more is needed here for them to come truly home. The text today tells us that the people's response to all this transition is both celebration and mourning. When the people, this is what it reads, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple. So it's only the foundation, it's not the whole thing. So when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites and the descendants of Asphath clasped, clashed their symbols to praise the Lord, just as King David had, had prescribed With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the other leaders who had seen the first temple, wept 
aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. I love that phrase, mingled together. Some people celebrated while other people grieved. Sounds true to form, doesn't it? The people had experienced an ending, that is for sure. What that ending meant to them, the text does not tell us. We do know they were just beginning. I mean, we can know because we have read the story. We we do know they were just beginning the fallow and empty in-between, the liminal space of the not yet of what is to be. We know that. I wonder how much they comprehended. As I read the passage, I wondered why this lesson was chosen to be in the narrative lectionary in the season of Advent. I'm like, come on. Come on. There's so so much good stuff. Come on. What is this? It doesn't sound like your normal Advent scripture passage. Where is the prophecy of the coming Messiah? Come on. Or even the billowing warnings of the one who will come someday in the clouds. Let's get some drama going on here. Why aren't we looking at the Lucan text before the birth of Jesus? Mm, There's so much good stuff. Why are we here? How does this scripture choice fit? I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't self-evident at first glance. Yet, yet, when we look at the text, the people who are living in the between, in between, not there anymore, they're not there anymore, but not quite whatever this is, is one of the key truths and invitations of the Advent season. It is one of the key invitations. The sojourners find themselves on a threshold. And they're turned about and they're disorientated. Some are celebrating, some are mourning, some, I don't know where they're, well, some are back in Babylon. I don't know what's happening. They're home, they're home, but it doesn't look like home. And they've been changed. The people have been changed. This is not the same place, and they are not the same people. Maybe this is the point for this third Sunday of Advent. 
they were, we are, in this life, in the imperfect place of being in between. Whether or not we are going through a personal or spiritual transition, the larger story of God puts us all smack dab in the longing place with the Israelite people for something, someone to come. This is not an illusionary pie in the sky, someday my prince will come sort of way, but a real ache, a real ache. This is not the way it's supposed to be, ache. A real ache that becomes a prayer. This isn't working this way, God. God, please come. God, please help. I wonder, I think, it may be easy to fall into the trap of settling for what can be seen and touched. I wonder if that's what the Israelites were doing there. Hey, we're back. We're back. (laughs) We're back. We made it home. Yay. It'll all be what it was. Yay. Why we went there. Yay. We're not there anymore. (laughs) It will be practically perfect now. Yay. Yippee. We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. Okay. We're okay. We're back. We're back. Yes, we're okay. Are you okay? I'm okay. Okay. You're okay? Okay. We're back. But there's something missing. A voice whispers on repeat. The people of God have been changed by their captivity. I think that was God's plan. And they needed to name it. And they needed to grieve it in order to move on. But we have to give the people of God credit in this moment. They did what they could, which was a really good thing. They came to worship and they celebrated God's faithful love for them with both tears and joy, mingling them together, bringing their vulnerability to God in the presence of others. They did it. In the messiness of what was, in that incomplete place, they brought their prayer and their worship, their song and their sorrow to God. In the place where the kings had worshipped before, they worship now. They knew that they could do at least this much. But as time passed and the years rolled by and the wait for the king became longer and longer, 
more happened to the people. Lots of ups and downs and God's coming and God's seeming absence. And meanwhile, the people took a few wrong turns here and there. Some moved to a legal understanding of Torah and its implications, enter the scribes and the Sadducees. Other people leaned into personal piety, ritual, and religiosity, enter the Pharisees. This is all this time period where all this came forth. Still others despaired and turned to other gods. I'm not the one to understand all the whys and wherefores. I don't think we can about all what happened in those intervening 500 years. But so many seeds were sown there. So many seeds were sown during this period that Jesus confronted through his ministry. It's an interesting, you know, part of Advent I've never thought about. You know, there's always this non you know, 500 years of God not speaking. But there's this other stuff that's happening. People get busy trying to fill in the void. Trying to make up stuff when there's not stuff to hold on to. I think the people missed a step or two along the way. I wonder if they tried too hard to go back instead of walking forward with God. I don't know. Something happened. Something happened there. But some did wait. Some did wait. They waited a really long time. They worshiped and they listened. They prayed and hoped. They watched and lived. They held in outstretched hands the uncertainty of the kingless kingdom while longing for the one who was to come. A half century century later, we meet people like the Simeons and the Annas the Elizabeths and the Zacharias, the Marys and the Josephs. Somehow they understood deep down God had not forgotten them and was still at work redeeming and restoring his beloved people. When the time came, they recognized the king's coming. He did not come to reign on a human throne, though, or in a priestly temple, but in the hearts of the lowly and the unseen. His promise brought an eternal new beginning. The story of God's people teaches us that the work of transition is difficult. And we must be patient in our waiting, bringing our whole selves to God, even in uncertainty. Releasing our own expectation of how it should be 
and receiving with gratefulness what is, no matter how long it takes. This is how our Lord always works. This is how he has always come. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these Advent lessons. And we ask, O oh God, that they would grow deep roots within our own hearts. Amen.